Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 14, College Football Betting. I am your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is having a great week. And hope everybody is ready for what should be a fun Week 8 slate. I said it with Week 7 last week. I will say it again here. As the week has gone on, I have become more excited about this Week 8 slate. Clemson going on the road as an underdog for the first time in ACC play, uh, in regular season play since 2016. We also have on top of that, what else do we have? We got UCLA Oregon, we got USC Notre Dame. Really excited to talk about this Week 8 slate, second episode of the week. If you missed the look ahead lines on Monday, we always do two, two episodes a week every week. Monday is the look ahead lines, this is the deep dive, and again, I think I have some very interesting information for you on all of these games the goal is always on college football betting with Aaron Torres never to tell you who I'm picking who I like who I don't but instead to get you the best information I can get you to make you the smartest gambler possible that you can possibly be and I think I have done well so far this year only because every single time I look up the numbers continue to go up for this show every single week so thank you for you guys thank you guys for your support thank you guys for your interest in college football betting with Aaron Torres and let's get into the week eight slate but before we do quick message from our partners at DraftKings so obviously look this is a college football betting show but what I do want to tell you you can always throw down on college football but DraftKings has a great 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 promo for those of you who like the NBA the NBA is back basketball is back and it's time to make it rain to celebrate the NBA season, DraftKings Sportsbook is officially offering listeners of this podcast, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, an exciting promotion. Here it is. Right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new customers a chance to win $200 in free bets if they bet $5 on any team in any game and that team wins. Don't have to worry about covering a spread. Don't have to worry about an over-under. Just pick a game, pick a team. If that team wins, you bet $5, you win $200 in free bets. This is how you take advantage of the promo. This is how you take advantage of it if you are a listener of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Go ahead, click the link in our show description. If you listen on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, there will be a link to DraftKings Sportsbook. From there, 
make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on any team, any game, and if that team wins, you automatically get $200 thanks to our friends at DraftKings. This, in honor of the return of NBA basketball, it is the best offer going in all of basketball right now, and take advantage. I should remind you, as always, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only, minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager in this case, eligibility restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, let's get into the week eight slate, and it's interesting because as I said a minute ago, the week eight slate, it feels a lot like this time last week. If you listen to this show last Thursday, I said, look, when I first looked at the week seven slate, which was obviously last week, and compared it to the previous few weeks, it didn't have as much juice and as much pizzazz as some of the other weeks, right? Week five, week six, we have all these incredible games, Alabama A&M, Alabama Ole Miss, Ole Miss Arkansas, Arkansas Georgia, Georgia Auburn, Iowa Penn State. You just go on and on down the list. Notre Dame, Cincinnati. There were so many great games over a two, three-week stretch. Last week, it felt like, okay, what are the big storylines? This week, it felt like the same without a single matchup of ranked opponents. But as you dig deeper into this schedule, you start to realize there is a lot at stake for a lot of these teams, even if it isn't the traditional great matchup, uh, you know, top 15 on top 15 team, top 10 team on top 10 team. You have a team like LSU. How do they respond now that they know Coach O's future? How does Ole Miss respond banged up coming out of that Tennessee game? By the way, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, big favorites prior to big games next weekend with Penn State traveling to Ohio State, Michigan traveling to Michigan State. How do they prepare this week for those games? So a lot to get into, but let's start with what I still believe is actually the biggest game, and it's UCLA hosting Oregon. UCLA is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 60 and a half. And a couple things. This was supposed to be the marquee showdown game of the Pac-12 season, but to a degree, I still believe it is. Yes, there was a time where UCLA and Oregon were both, whatever, 4-0, 3-0, whatever it was. Oregon beat. Uh, they took care of Ohio State in the horseshoe. LSU loses to UCLA. And you think this is maybe a top 10, top 12 showdown with playoff implications. It's important to note for Oregon, the playoff implications are still there. I found it weird that everybody seemed to just write off Oregon's playoff chances because they lost one game. They still have that great win over Ohio State, and if they continue to win out, they are very much going to be in the playoff picture late in the season. The question and the concern becomes, 
What have we seen that makes us believe that they are actually going to win out? Remember, this is a team that struggled last week against Cal, which is a 1-5 team right now. They struggled against uh, Stanford in a loss in overtime to a not very good Stanford team. They didn't even play that well against Arizona, which might be the worst Power 5 team in college football right now. And so it's really been a 3-4 week regression for Oregon since they won that Ohio State game. Part of it is injuries, which we'll get into in a minute. The good news for Oregon, though, is that Joe Moorhead, their star offensive coordinator, apparently there was a very scary health condition that he had to deal with prior to the Stanford game. He was not in the stadium. He is okay. He was back in the booth last week for the Cal game, and he is back on the sidelines this week for Oregon. In terms of the game itself, though, like I said, Oregon has everything to play for, but what would concern me about this game if you were an Oregon backer, Oregon is a slight underdog, which first of all tells you something right there. Top 10 team on the road, they are an underdog to an unranked opponent. That tells you one thing. On top of that, what would scare me is this, is that we now know we're nine weeks, eight weeks into the season, nine weeks for UCLA that played in week zero. There is a very clear and definitive way to beat UCLA. Unfortunately, that is not how Oregon thrives on the football field. And so let me explain. UCLA does one thing really well on offense and one thing really bad on defense. And if you can slow them down on offense and if you can expose them on defense, you can beat them. They run the ball insanely well. They currently rank 17th nationally in rushing, only 93rd in passing. You make Dorian Robinson, Dorian Robin Thompson stay in the pocket. I can't even say his name. Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR, stay in the pocket. You don't let them get outside. You don't let the running backs make plays. You can beat UCLA. They were held to three and a half yards in the loss to Arizona State a few weeks ago. But my cons- and, and that's kind of proof that if you can stop them from running the ball, you can beat them. But the concern is this. Oregon is really thin at linebacker right now. And it's a credit to Mario Cristobal that they're even as competitive as they are given the injuries. But three marquee linebackers are going to be out for this game, including Justin Flo. They actually get one back from injury, which is a sign of positivity. Mario Cristobal says they're actually starting to get healthier than they've been in a long time. But Oregon is struggling to stop the run. 55th nationally in rushing, which doesn't sound terrible. But again, gave up over six yards per carry to Cal last week, which is concerning against the UCLA team that runs the ball really effectively now on the defensive side for UCLA it's worth noting this UCLA is really good against the run on defense they're really bad against the pass on offense I told you on this show before the Fresno State game I said Fresno State could throw the ball UCLA hasn't proven the ability to stop the passing game in on defense and what happened we all saw that game Our guy over there, uh, Jake Heiner, threw for almost 500 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and they go to the Rose Bowl and win. Here's the concern for Oregon. They're still running the ball really well with Travis Dye. Obviously, C.J. Verdell is out for the season, but they can't throw the ball. Anthony Brown is not a pass-first quarterback, and so I just look at this game. I'm not telling you where to go. I'm not telling you where to place your money. But this is kind of one of those styles make fights type games, and the style seems to favor UCLA. They cannot throw the ball effectively. Oregon defends the run poorly, and UCLA is a much better run team than they are a pass team. On the flip side, UCLA does not defend the pass very well, but defends the run well. Oregon is starting to run the ball well, even with a 1,000-yard rusher out for the season, but they can't pass the ball. So that is something to consider, something to keep in mind in this game. It's a 3.30 kickoff. It's going to be nice weather in UCLA. Weather will obviously not be a factor at the Rose Bowl. It is beautiful out there. 
Uh, I, will, I was actually at Dodger Stadium on, on uh, what was it, what, Tuesday night for the Dodgers-Braves game. Dodger Stadium is about, I don't know, 15 minutes from the Rose Bowl. It was beautiful. It's supposed to be beautiful on Saturday afternoon. Weather could be a factor, though, at USC Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a seven-point favorite. Over-under is 58. It is a night, 7.30 Eastern time kickoff, and it'll probably be in the 30s by the time we kick off. But this is another one. Notre Dame is favored, but weirdly, even though USC is not good, the matchups kind of sort of favor USC. First off, USC has kind of weirdly been good on the road since Clay Helton got fired. 0-2 at home, gets spanked by Oregon State, gets spanked by Utah. Now, those two teams might be uh, quietly the two best teams in the Pac-12 right now. Uh, Utah is rolling atop the Pac-12 South, and uh, Oregon State is playing pretty well. So I bring it up to say it might just be USC just played teams that are better than them right now. But USC is also 2-0 on the road since Clay Helton was, got fired, destroyed Colorado, and destroyed Washington State when Nick Rolovich was still the head coach. More importantly, again, you think about the matchups. USC, to their credit, they still pass the ball well. They're soft in the trenches. They don't have a good O-line. They can't run the football, but they are still very effective passing the ball. 11th nationally. Keaton Slovis is starting to get his groove back. Drake London, Taj Washington, two really elite skill position guys on the outside. And what is very interesting, again, Notre Dame's pass defense has not been very good. Their strength is against the run, 86th in pass defense nationally. This will be the best pass offense that they have seen since Purdue in week two. And you know what Purdue did? Almost 300 yards through the air on them. So I'm not saying that you know you have to back USC, but the, 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 the strengths of USC go directly against the weaknesses of Notre Dame. Now at the same time, I'm not saying USC is a good football team. By no means. They're 2-2 two and two since Clay Hilton got fired. 3-3 three and three overall. Uh, you know, got smoked by two teams, three teams really, at the LA Coliseum. But Notre Dame is in an interesting spot as well. And anybody who listens to any of my work knows that I am very much a Brian Kelly defender. But let's start to pick apart their resume right now. Opening night, three-point win against Florida State. Three-point win against Toledo in Week 2. Three-point win last week against Virginia Tech. One possession game going into the fourth quarter against Purdue. Tie game against Wisconsin. Uh, lost to Cincinnati at home. So they really haven't played one game where they were awesome for four quarters. And on top of that, what is starting to become concerning to me, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, if I'm a Notre Dame backer this weekend, Brian Kelly can't figure out the quarterback situation. Jack Cohn, veteran, experienced. He does not, you know, I guess what I would say with Jack Cohn, what I would say with Notre Dame is this. Brian Kelly says he's sticking with Jack Cohn. I think it's up for debate right now if he gives them the best chance to win. Tyler Buckner played well against Virginia Tech. Drew Pine came in and played well against Wisconsin, not nearly as well the following week against Cincinnati. But I just bring it up because if you got one quarterback, if you got two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks at all, Notre Dame might have three right now. And if I'm a Notre Dame fan or if I'm a Notre Dame backer, again, I start to worry. Does Brian Kelly know who his quarterback is? If they don't have a quarterback, how does the offense adjust on the fly with three different guys potentially under center? And I would also mention this. I talked about it on, on Monday's show, but you go through the history of Brian Kelly. Ian Book makes us forget that for years, Brian Kelly could not find a quarterback. Every single year, they traded one quarterback for another. It was Everett Golson, Malik Zaire. Um, you know, they had the righty. I'm blanking on his name. Then they get Ian Book for three years. You kind of think they've got it figured out, but we are right back to square one where they right now, Jack Cohn is the starter. We don't know if he gives them the best chance to win. He's clearly not the future. Brian Kelly says he's going to play him, but 
it just seems like a very, very, very precarious situation at the quarterback spot for Notre Dame. Last game, we'll take a quick break. We'll get to some of the SEC stuff. I got to talk about Clemson and Pitt, though. Really interesting. The spread is Pitt 3. It actually opened at 2.5, so a little bit of money coming in on Pitt. And the over-under at 48. As I mentioned off the top, first game that Clemson in the regular season has been an underdog to an ACC team since Lamar Jackson was at Louisville in 2016. That was a long time ago, folks. That is how long it's been since Clemson has been an underdog in a game uh, in the ACC. But I'll tell you this. I think there were a lot of people that when the line came out, they said, man, Vegas finally caught up with Clemson. Clemson's been a favorite every game, a big favorite every game except for Georgia. They have yet to cover a game. And so Vegas finally got smart and made them an underdog and hopefully getting the balance of bets in. I actually think that Vegas hasn't caught up to Clemson. And I think if you just look at these two teams on paper, what we know right now, you take off the uniforms, you take off who they are, what their history is. I think Pitt should probably, frankly, be a significantly bigger favorite. Again, not telling you how to bet. I'm just telling you how I view this game. And I think Pitt is still undervalued at minus three. Keep in mind a couple things. First of all, with Clemson, I say it every week with them. First of all, I love Dabo. I I. I think he's getting too much heat right now. It's a weird year. They're still 4-2. and two. They're not very good. They're still 4-2, and two, but they are who they are at this point. And here's the bottom line. They're 111th in total offense nationally. Last year, they were a top 10 offense with Trevor Lawrence, and it feels like a perfect storm of everything that can go wrong is. I don't think DJ's the guy at quarterback. Um... 55% completion percentage, four touchdowns, three interceptions through this part in the season. When you're six games, when you're halfway through the season, you have four touchdowns and three interceptions as a quarterback. Unless you're playing at UConn, that's kind of unacceptable, and that's where we're at with DJ. I would also defend DJ by saying the O-line stinks. He's been sacked 12 times. They can't run the ball. The receivers don't appear to be able to separate, although I do think part of it is DJ not being super accurate, not being super poised in the pocket, not having a ton of time. But it's kind of this perfect storm. And of course, on the outside, on the periphery, the noise is about the transfer portal. It's about this. Does Dabo do that? This week, we had Dabo being linked to Clemson, which I talked about on Wednesday's Aaron Torres podcast. So I just bring it up to say there's a lot of noise around the program right now, but the noise starts with the fact that this is just not a very good football team right now. On the flip side, Pitt is a really good team. And what's so interesting with Pitt, we think about them, the Pat Narduzzi era, three yards, they play defense, low scoring, run the football, James Conner, all... They're awesome offensively, okay? They rank number three in scoring offensively. Now, that may change by the time this recording is done because Coastal Carolina is the number one scoring offense in college football. They're playing as I record. Uh, they also, they being Pitt, have the number five total offense in college football. And Kenny Pickett, to his credit, I'm just going to tell you this. I will drop some Heisman Trophy odds in this uh, rundown. Click the link there because I'm not telling you what to do. I am not telling you what to do. But I think if Kenny Pickett balls out the way that I think he's capable of, I think we're going to have to be talking about him as a potential Heisman candidate, which sounds preposterous. But here's the stat line on Kenny Pickett right now this season. 21 touchdowns, one interception, 70% completion percentage. And oh, by the way, if they win this game, they are going to be the very prohibitive favorites in the ACC to win the ACC this year. Not saying it'll happen. But right now, they have a two-game lead in the loss column in the Coastal. They win this game. It's tough to not see them, at least in the ACC championship game, potentially playing Wake Forest, North Carolina State, whomever it may be from the other division. 
I would also say from Clemson's perspective, they lose this game, it pretty much knocks them out of contention to make the ACC championship game. They would be two games in the loss column behind NC State and Wake Forest. They obviously already have a loss to NC State this week, this year as well. Pitt's offense is for real, guys. I'm just telling you. They have scored at least 28 points in every game, 41 points in all but one game, 50-plus points in three of their games. Clemson's defense is good, but I'll just tell you, the defense might be good, but if they hold Pitt in check, what is that? A 24-point performance, a 27-point performance? Keep in mind, Pitt's only scored under 31 points one time this, this season. That was last week at Lane Stadium against Virginia Tech, and they still won. And so you have to start to ask yourself, how many points does Clemson have to score if they want to cover this game? It feels like a lot. And I would just be worried if I was betting Clemson. You know, everyone keeps thinking, oh, Dabo will figure it out. He'll figure it out. He'll get the he'll rally the troops. I don't think you can rally the troops if the troops just aren't that good. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk about the big games in the SEC Ole Miss LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, and then we will hit on the Big Ten slate where we kind of have to try and figure out, okay, what's the deal? What do we do with Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, which are all big favorites this week against inferior competition prior to big games next week, what should be top 15 showdowns. I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I am back, going to be back, going to be back, and let's switch gears. Let's talk some SEC. You feel like the SEC didn't even play football. I haven't even acknowledged them yet on this show, but it's interesting because last week, all we talked about was SEC, right? We, we had, what, we, what games did we have last week? Georgia, Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas. I'm missing another big one. Florida, LSU, all these big games last weekend, but this week, the slate is much quieter in large part because... A lot of these teams are on buys. Georgia, the number one team in the country, is on a buy. Uh, Kentucky, the second best team in the East, is on a buy. Auburn ranked on a buy. Florida, at the very least interesting with Dan Mullen, on a buy. Arkansas on a buy. So there aren't as many big games in the SEC, but there are still two really marquee ones that I do want to discuss. First one, LSU at Ole Miss. Ole Miss, nine-point favorite, over under 76. And we all know what the big stories are coming into this game. The first one from LSU's perspective, we now know what the future of Coach O is. Last week, I don't know if the players felt like they were playing for Coach O or not. I don't know how much was getting out in the locker room about Coach O's potential departure. But clearly coming off the Kentucky game, we got the best version of LSU. And the question becomes in this one very simply, can LSU play at that level again? Last week, big opponent rival game, ranked team at the time, you're playing for your coach, now you know your coach is gone, you're trying to figure out who's going to be next, what does it all mean, you're maybe listening to the Aaron Torres podcast, trying to figure out who Torres thinks is going to be the LSU head coach, but I just bring it all up to say, it's tough to see a scenario where LSU plays with quite the same energy that they did this time last week, Ole Miss, the question is very simple, Matt Corral, how healthy is he? I told you on Monday, you know, Lane Kiffin, um, you know, I know he likes to be coy and I know he likes to be goofy and he likes to do weird stuff. You listen to him talk about Matt Corral. It does not sound promising that Matt Corral will be playing in this game. And if he does, that he will be at 100%. And that last part is important because if he is not at 100%, it completely changes what Ole Miss's offense is capable of doing. What people don't realize, 
Matt Corral, I talk about it all the time on this show. We think about Ole Miss as this high-flying, fast-paced, throw-the-ball 70 times a game offense. This ain't Mike Leach's air raid, okay? This is a run-based offense. Mississippi State is, or Ole Miss, excuse me, is one of the best run-based offenses in college football, one of the best rushing offenses in college football, I really should say. Matt Corral is their leading rusher coming into this game, and so if he is not at 100%, certainly if he doesn't play, but even if Lane Kiffin is trying not to get him killed out there, that changes the trajectory and the capability of this Ole Miss team. And the other thing with Ole Miss is this. They got their bye early in the year. So it's not like Lane Kiffin can kind of let Matt Corral loose knowing that like LSU and Alabama, next week he's got a bye. He already had his bye. They still have to play Auburn next week, which will be coming off a bye. They still have to play Texas A&M a few weeks down the road. So there are still a lot of big games left for Ole Miss. And it's also worth noting, I don't think people realize this, they're right back in that SEC West title chase because Alabama has a loss. They would need Alabama to lose again. They would need to win out. But if that happens, they're going to Atlanta to play in the SEC championship game. And so there's a lot to play for for Ole Miss. And I don't think Lane Kiffin can just throw you know, caution to the wind and let Matt Corral go crazy. You, in some ways, you got to be ultra protective of him, not just for this game, but for the rest of the season. The other thing worth considering... LSU, the run offense, and Ole Miss's run defense. This blew me away, right? So obviously, I've talked a lot on this show, on the Aaron Torres podcast, about LSU's run offense, how terrible it was. But it started to turn the corner against Kentucky two weeks ago, and they were obviously phenomenal last week when Tyreon, what's his name, Uh, Davis Price, set a school record rushing-wise last week against Florida, 287 yards. I do not think anybody's setting a school record for rushing yards this week, but I do think it's pretty much worth noticing, worth noting, excuse me, Ole Miss's run defense is terrible, okay? So I looked it up there, 111th in run defense. That's obviously not good, right? You do some mental math there, you're ranked 111th in any category out of 130 teams, that's not good. But here's the catch, 111th nationally, they're giving up about 198 yards per game. But those numbers are actually deflated. They're not as bad as they look because of three dominant out-of-conference games against Louisville, Austin P, and Tulane. You take out the out-of-conference games for Ole Miss. They're giving up 260 yards per game on the ground in SEC play. 260 yards per game on the ground. If you just put them in SEC play, that would rank 129th out of 130 teams. The only team that's worse is Missouri, ironically, who's also in this conference. So I'm starting to worry about this Ole Miss team. I never tell you how to bet, but Ole Miss, Matt Corral's banged up. This defense is not getting stops in the run game, and you start to wonder. I don't know if LSU can repeat what they did last week, but you talk about a matchup that seems to be nice for LSU. I'm just saying this is it. Tennessee-Alabama, let's get to Tennessee-Alabama. The spread is Alabama minus 25. The over-under is 67.5. And And I'll just be blunt. I I said it on Monday. I don't know how anyone can, can... definitively can definitively bet this game without knowing the status of Hendon Hooker. Like, if you want to bet against Ole Miss, I can see that because Matt Corral is not going to be 100% if he even plays, and LSU, from a talent perspective, is probably just as talented as Ole Miss, even with all those injuries. But Alabama is significantly more talented, and the X factor at quarterback for Tennessee, we don't even know if he is going to play. And so, listen, I could go through a million stats on this one, I'm not going to waste my time because it all depends on what happens if Hendon Hooker plays. If Hendon Hooker plays and he's anything close to 100%, I think they can absolutely keep it competitive. On the flip side, if he doesn't, they're in big trouble. We all saw Joe Milton. 
We also saw Joe Milton run out of bounds on the last play of the game when he had to throw the ball into the end zone. And so I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I could sit here and break it down and give you analytics and, you know, yards per rush. and It doesn't matter. Hennon Hooker needs to play. Josh Heupel says he expects him to play. It's day-to-day. We'll find out. It's just going to be a fascinating one. From Alabama's perspective, all I'll say is this. Uh, they're hitting a bye. I think they need a bye. They're banged up on defense. But as I said on Monday's show, they bounced back about as well as any team possibly could against Mississippi State last week. Were awesome on defense. Held them under six yards per completion for one of the best pass offenses in college football. Bryce Young's a stud. I mean, he's just so good. And I don't think he gets enough credit because he's so cerebral. He doesn't. It's kind of like Mac Jones last year. I know people, Mac Jones is a lightning rod because of what he's doing in the NFL. But Mac Jones just made it look so easy last year. And it feels like... Bryce Young is doing the same. So this is one, I don't know how you can legitimately, honestly handicap this game, but it's one to just keep an eye on going forward. Let's wrap with some of those Big Ten games. Like I said, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State are all three-plus touchdown favorites, but what makes it interesting is this. All three have super marquee games next week, Penn State playing at Ohio State, Michigan playing at Michigan State. Michigan State, the fourth team in this conversation, is on a bye All four teams are ranked in the top 15. And so I think the big question is, if you're betting for or against Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State, how much do those teams want to put on film? How much do they just want to get out of these games healthy? Starting with Penn State, Ohio, or Penn State, uh, Illinois, spread Penn State is a 24-point favorite, over-under is 46. And a couple things. One, obviously with Penn State, I just talked about Hendon Hooker, I just talked about Matt Corral. What is the status of Sean Clifford? I was told by a source that I trust Sean Clifford was practicing on Thursday or on Wednesday afternoon as I got set to record this. But the bigger question becomes, even if Sean Clifford plays, how much is uh, James Franklin going to let him loose? What I just said with Matt Corral, there are no more buys for Penn State. They got Ohio State next week. And so even if he plays, my guess is he's limited. My guess is he hands the ball off a lot. My guess is Penn State tries to get up 24-0, 31-0, and pull him out of that game so that he can get healthy for Ohio State. And then more importantly, not put anything on film. In terms of Illinois, I'll just tell you this, man. I don't think anybody's really paid attention to them since that week zero win against Nebraska. They've been bad. They beat Nebraska 30-22 in week zero. Here's what they've done since. They are 1-5. Their only win coming against Charlotte with a loss to Texas San Antonio gets smoked by Virginia, smoked by, or excuse me, smoked by Wisconsin last, uh, last week before their bye, and then they lose to Maryland and Purdue. Here are their point totals in those games. 14 points against Virginia, 17 points against Maryland, 9 points against Purdue, 0 points against Wisconsin, and yes, Brett Bielema called out his offensive line this week. A lot of people were offended, blah, 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 blah. I just bring it up to say this team can't move anybody. Now you're going up against the number four scoring defense in college football. I'd be careful. Don't tell you how to bet. That spi- uh, that, uh, that that point, that over-under of 46 looks like a spicy meatball. And again, I should remind you, links to uh, our partners at DraftKings are in uh, are in the bio, are in the, uh, excuse me, the show rundown on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. I bring it up. You want to support this show, click that link. First-time users really get taken good care of. In terms of the other Big Ten teams, I'll say this. Northwestern, 23.5-point underdog at Michigan State, over under 50. It's interesting because on Monday's show, I said, Michigan, Harbaugh, he'll play it close to the vest. He won't try to show anything. He won't try to put anything on film for Mel Tucker and Michigan State next week. 
I kind of feel differently after I did some homework on this. Not that Jim Harbaugh is not going to, not that Jim Harbaugh is going to turn into Mike Leach or anything, but here are the facts that you need to know. Northwestern is really, really, really bad uh, for the record. I mean, they are legitimately bad. Here is what they have done offensively against Power 5 teams this year. 21 points against Michigan State in the season opener, 23 against Duke, 7 against Nebraska, 7 against Rutgers, or 21 against Rutgers last week. So essentially they have not scored more than 23 points against any Power 5 opponent. They are now going up against a Michigan team that plays elite defense with Mike McDonald, the new, off the new defensive coordinator. And I'll also add this, Michigan is elite running the ball, so even if Michigan runs the ball right at them, know who has the 118th ranked run defense in college football? It's your boys at Northwestern. So... I don't tell you how to bet. I'm just telling you that Michigan run offense, even if they're not trying to put anything on film, it could be a long day for that Northwestern defense. Really quick, Ohio State playing at uh, Indiana over under is 60 and a half. Ohio State is a 21 point favorite. It was 19 points when I recorded on Monday. All the money coming in on Ohio State and with good reason. Ohio State's one coming off a bye. I think they're starting to hit their peak. They're playing really well. 59-7 against Akron, 52-13 against Rutgers, 66-17 against Maryland, playing really good football. Indiana, we don't have to belabor the point. They can't score. I mean, they can't score. And on top of that, not only can they not score, but it's a situation where they're, they're setting up with their backup quarterback. This is a night game. It is in Bloomington. But listen. They played Penn State right before their bye. Zero points. They lose 24 to nothing. Last week against Michigan State, they're coming out of their bye. You think they might finally show a little bit of life. What ends up happening? They lose 20 to 15, struggle to move the football. Last game I really want to get to, you know, Oklahoma State Ohio, I, at Iowa State. You talk about a spread that kind of makes you go, hmm, Oklahoma, Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State and Iowa State has to be it. Uh, Oklahoma State is a seven-point underdog coming into this game despite the fact that they are the number eight ranked team in the country, Iowa State is unranked and has lost twice this season. To Iowa State's credit, it has started to play better football over the course of the last few weeks. We know that they lost to Iowa and Baylor early in the season. The last two weeks took care of Kansas 59-7, as they should, and won against Kansas State in Manhattan last week. Uh, but seven point, uh, seven point spread in this one feels weird. You consider both these teams are really elite on defense. They are both top 20 defenses nationally. Um, you, you factor in that Iowa State is not very effective as a team that moves the football. You start to wonder how are they a touchdown favorite. And it's also worth noting, they're just not a team that's built to cover big spreads because they play they play this slow, methodical, you know, between the, like they, they don't play a game designed to beat teams by double figures. And so now they're a touchdown favorite at home against the top 10 team. It doesn't really add up. Uh, this is just a sketchy, sketchy, sketchy one if you're thinking about betting it. Uh, I think those are really the big games. I'll tell you, North Carolina State being only a field goal favorite at Miami feels very weird. Miami is totally beat up. Cameron Harris, their star running back, is out. That's in addition to De'Aaron King and basically everybody. They're down to a million guys. Uh, really interesting game in the Pac-12. Utah, a three-point favorite at Oregon State. As I told you a minute ago, Utah is all of a sudden playing really good football since Charlie Brewer hit the transfer portal. They have won all three of their Pac-12 games by double figures. Beat some interesting teams, too. 14-point win against Arizona State last week, crushed USC at the Coliseum, and beat Washington State, which I know the Nick Rolovich thing has kind of taken center stage, but they were playing pretty good football. So 
That is an interesting game in the Pac-12, but I will say this. I think that's going to be it for this episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Uh, if you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are available. Also, a big thank you to our partners at DraftKings. Remember the promo I told you. DraftKings, you want to bet college football, the link is available in this uh, podcast description. On top of that, if you love basketball, NBA bet, bet any team, $5, money line. If they win, you win $200 in free bets. That's for first-time users. You know what states you have to be in for that uh, deal to apply. But great deal from our partners at DraftKings. Again, the link is in the the podcast description. If you have any questions, you can always DM me at Aaron underscore Torres. But I think that is it for college football betting. I want to thank you guys for listening. I appreciate the time. And we will be back Monday. Again, thank you all. If you have friends, if you have family that you think would enjoy this show, always feel free to pass it on to them. Otherwise, I am out. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.